Good afternoon. Praise the name of the Lord. Welcome to 3 p.m. service. Any people worshiping with us for the first time, just by show of hands. Any visitors in our midst? Ah, okay, it's us. Welcome, welcome. Praise the name of the Lord. And uh, maybe before I proceed, I would want to start the same way I started on Friday evening. Is there anyone that would want to share their experience of how the month has gone? Today we come to the close of our time of prayer and fasting as a family. We are not closing praying and fasting, hello? (laughs) But as a family, uh, focusing on that as a youth ministry. Anyone that would want to just share an experience, might have been your first time, you've never done it, you did it, and uh, you want to share with us how that went. Um, Anything unique that you'd want to share maybe to encourage us? There's no one, okay? Oh, Someone coming. Clap for her. Give her energy as she comes. That looks like Vanessa. Yes, she is. I've been in a space where they call her Vanilla. She probably might explain why. Um, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So grateful to God for this month. It's been a, it's been a very nice month. Um, personally, um, the Lord spoke to me through the words of Daniel 3, in Daniel 3. And you know how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kept on, you like, they didn't exalt the problem, yeah? They chose to exalt God, something that we failed to do. And I was challenged because most times we look at the problem and want to give in. And yet we forget that even though we choose to surrender, like even though we choose to go into the fire, we forget that there is this one person who is going to be with us in the fire. And it was for me a challenge to like stop exalting the problem, but start exalting God. For he said that if we delight in him, he will delight in us. If we give ourselves to him, he will also you know, show us these mysteries that he has for us. And then he also told me that you didn't choose yourself, I chose you. So for me, that's what like, was the biggest of my meditations of the month and learning to surrender fully to God, not partially, but this time learning to like, you know, be like, you know what, we're going to go into this fire, but we know that God is going to be with us in the fire. So, yeah, thank the Lord for that. Thank you, Vanessa. And so, Lord, I pray particularly that you'll give me strength this afternoon to bring your word to your people. Please, Lord, strength and more strength that your word will come with clarity and simplicity Lord, we pray indeed that today will be a beginning of a new season at All Saints Cathedral, particularly in the youth ministry. And so speak to us, each one of us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to Joel chapter 2. Joel. 
chapter 2, I want to read from verse 1 to verse 17. It's a long read, let's just follow closely in your Bible as I read. Below, <clears throat> blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains. A large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. Before them, fire devours, behind them a flame blazes, before them the land is like the Garden of Eden, behind them a desert waste, nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses, they gallop along like cavalry, with a noise like that of chariots, they leap over the mountain tops, like a crackling fire consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses. Like thieves, they enter through the windows. Before them, the earth shakes. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon are darkened and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number and mighty in the army that obeys this command. The day of the Lord is great, is dreadful. Who can endure it? Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn. By sword, by word, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? The word of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. And I want to give my message around those words, particularly in verse 13 of chapter 2. 
Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Now, when you do a study of the book of Joel, you notice that like all the other prophets, Joel was an instrument of God, God's mouthpiece, if you want to call it, and God used him at his time to bring forth his message to the people. And verse 1 is quite clear, the word of the Lord that came to Joel. So this is not Joel's idea, this is not his opinion, he has not sat somewhere like Muhammad went to certain caves and got uh, Ikra, like they call the, 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 the Quran, and you know, came and started telling people that this is the word of the Lord. No, it is very clear that it is not Joel speaking, it is God himself speaking through Joel. The word of the Lord came to Joel. And so this means it is not his opinion, it is not his wishful thinking, it is the Lord himself. And so the time when God is speaking through most of these prophets, particularly Joel and many others, it, it is a time that is not a good time for Israel. A lot of it is to do with the rebellion of Israel. Israel turning away from God, Yahweh, their God, the one who delivered them from Israel. So the context is not a friendly context between Joel and his cohorts and God. It is a bad time. Actually, when you interrogate most of the, uh, the, the prophets and the time they prophesied or ministered, they were bad times. Times when God is disappointed with Israel. Actually, when I did a bit of study and, and looked at Micah chapter 6, we hear words from the Lord that will surprise you. In Micah chapter 6, Listen to verse 2, following here, you mountains, the Lord's accusations. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. We hear God crying out and asking the question, my people, what have I done to you? Why should you treat me like this? After delivering you, why would you treat your deliverer the way you are treating me? God is disappointed with Israel. He's tired of their hypocrisy. When you read Isaiah chapter 1, it's the same context. God is tired. And so when we come to Joel, we sense God's judgment. And the first thing that I would want to say is that God's judgment on rebellious Israel, like we have read, implies the seriousness of sin before God. God's judgment, the way God chooses to treat Israel is, is something that is supposed to cause us to sober up and understand that God is so serious and against sin. He does not find it funny or interesting. He does not take it lightly when we choose to dilly-dally with sin, when we choose to run away and turn away from the Lord. God's judgment on rebellious Israel 
implies that God is so serious with sin, he doesn't take it easy or light. Judah's rebellion, Israel, is against God. It is not just a weakness, it is rebellion against God. And God is not about to ignore that. And so, it is a bad day for Israel. It's not good news for Israel. The land is invaded like never before. It is an appalling situation. Look at, verse, look at chapter 1, verse 4 of Joel. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. It is a bad day. It is, it is appalling. It is difficult for Israel. And do not mistake these locusts like the ones we heard about in 2020 during COVID-19. The ones which Museven said, I'm sending UPDF to combat. Listen, these are not those ones. <laughs> these, these did not spare the land. Nothing was spared. All people have been affected. When you read the passage in chapter 1, verse 2, verse 5, verse 11, verse 13, we see that all people, all categories of people have been affected. In verse 2, the elders, all who live in the land. In verse 5, the drunkards. It says the drunkards and all you drinkers of wine. Verse 11, the farmers. 13, the priests, including the priests like me. They were all affected. Basic necessities are scarce. There is no pleasure in life. So even regular worship is difficult. We can't gather people for worship because God's judgment is upon the land, is upon Israel. It is difficult. And so at this rate, everybody in the land must sober up. And when we read the text further, we realize that yes, this is a day that has both happened, but also as a dress rehearsal of the day of the Lord that is to come. And listen, those of us that are present in this service, we are in between. The judgment that happened to Israel, but also the grand judgment, the grand day, final day of judgment. So this is a foretest of the final day. The day of Joel, that Joel is describing is a day that is more than just his day. A closer look, Joel seems to be describing the final day of judgment. It is a day that God has fixed and only God knows. It is only known to God. The world will be summoned to the throne of God and will give account for how they lived their life, but particularly how they used his son Jesus Christ. Chapter, two of, chapter 3 of Second Peter and verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with the roar and the element will be destroyed with the intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. This is the real day that Joel is talking about in as much as he's using the current judgment to point Israel to the final day. Not just Israel, but even us this afternoon. And so you may imagine that locusts in Joel's time were very bad. From the description, they were bad, isn't it? What the old locusts left, the younger locusts ate, what the younger left, the other locusts ate, it was terrible. 
It was very bad. But listen, that is just a dress rehearsal. That is nothing compared to the judgment that is coming ahead of us. You think COVID-19 was bad? Thank you. But that was nothing. You watch news, you watch TV, you have had all these tsunamis and winds and fires that are coming up and all the bad things. You think about the recent, you know, butcher of children in Kasese and all over the place and you think it is bad. Listen, all that put together is a dress rehearsal of the day of judgment, particularly for those that have chosen to turn away from God. The wicked that have chosen to embrace sin and reject Jesus Christ. And so it's bad. It is bad news in the day of Joel. It says in Revelation chapter 6, verse 16 and 17, they call to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand? Nothing can withstand it. No one can withstand that day. And so the question for us, what should we do? Reverend Gerald, did you come to just make our Sunday bad? Did you, honestly, we've been praying the entire 30 days and you come to end the first like that, telling us bad news. What should we do at this word, at this judgment? What should we do after realizing that God does not, is not pleased with our sin, is not pleased when we turn away in rebellion. Joel gives us an answer here when he says, return and cry out to the Lord of compassion. Return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. What then should we do? Cry out to the Lord of compassion. Chapter 1, verse 14, listen to what it says. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. When things are falling apart, we cannot do business as usual. And I did say this on Friday in the prayer meeting. When things are bad, maybe you do not know, but I want to tell you that things are bad in our time. We had a conversation on Friday after you know, the meeting and we were thinking about what's wrong with the young people these days. We no longer see that zeal. And it's not just All Saints Cathedral. It's all over the place. That zeal where young people would enjoy, you know, the presence of God. Not that the presence of God is just limited to a Sunday service, but there's something about coming together as a family and we rejoice in being called children of the Most High God. But man, you do a, a song that requires people to dance in teen service at 10 a.m. and the dudes are just looking at you like, what's wrong with you? There's no regard at all. You don't sense celebration in gathering together as children of God. The zeal to serve is not there. Churches that were growing were based on growing youth ministries where young people come and they are available if there is anyone who had time. They were young people. But today make an announcement. There is something, please come in big numbers. You'll be shocked that you'll be the first one there as the pastor and a few leaders. And uh, then one, two, three people join you later. Things have gone wrong. Listen, 
If you look close at your heart, you will notice that things have gone wrong. We are no longer as zealous as we used to be. And we have had all excuses of how busy we are. Oh, bless the name of the Lord. How busy you are. How, you know, 24 hours a day are not enough for you. As if to say, those that come to serve in the church are idlers. You're about to call police for us, side and disorderly. There's something wrong with our hearts. Our hearts, our souls, and our minds are not in the one place, which is God Almighty. We have exchanged our priorities and replaced our loyalty to God with the prosperity of this world, with the fame of this world. Other things have replaced God. And so things are bad. Let's not be nice to each other. Let's not cheat ourselves because we call ourselves Christians. Something is wrong. When we do a thorough examination of our hearts, we know for sure. If God asked the same question, he asked Adam, where are you? And you are sincere with yourself. You will know you're not in the place where you should be. There's something wrong and we cannot do things the same we've done them. But there is something to hold on to hang on this afternoon. When Joel says to his cohorts, return to the Lord. This word return suggests that Israel has been in this place before. Because they could not return to a place they have never been. Return to the Lord suggests that you have another opportunity to get back to the place of zeal. You have a chance, you have an opportunity this afternoon to make fresh commitments with your God. Return to the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. And as Israel is thinking about their mistake, quite obviously they know that they are where they are because of their rebellion. In fact, they deserve to be where they are because they chose other gods, they chose other things apart from the Lord. And so this judgment is something they deserve. But they are not to remember only their weaknesses and their rebellion and their mistakes. They are also to remember the character of God. The character of God, particularly as the God of mercy. The God of compassion. Praise the name of the Lord. The God of mercy. I did say earlier on in the teen service that sometimes when we talk about God, we are quick to, as a father, we are quick to think about our earthly fathers and, I, and you know, our relatives and parents, our caregivers. And I did, you know, share with them something that happened to me when I was growing up, staying with my grand, grandmother at one point. And uh, I was playing with some stick and I wanted to hit the ball, but instead I hit the pot. There was a pot for drinking water outside, uh, you know, after being smoked. And so I missed the ball and hit the pot and the thing crashed. And my, mother, my grandmother discovered that I had broken the pot. And uh, she got a stick to beat me and I ran into the house and locked her outside. And, you know, she started tricking me. Yo, no, you come. It's okay. I won't do anything. And, you know, no, come, Gerard. It's okay. Come. 
I, <laughs> I said, no way. <laughs> I can't come out. And she pleaded and pleaded, promised things. Come, Gerard, it's okay, come. And at one point, I think she thought, let me pretend like I am away. So she, she was close enough, but not seen. So I attempted to open and realized she was standing just there. I locked very quickly. And so she, you know, said things and, you know, did that and that for me to come out. Of course, you know, I had to come out at some point and pay for my sins. And so some of you, when God says, return to me, maybe there is a sense in which you think God is just waiting with a stick to hit you. That is not who God is. He's not waiting for you because you have made so many mistakes and so he's going to crush your head because of the wickedness and sins and mistakes and rebellion and what? Israel must remember that yes, God is a God of justice, but he's also a God of compassion. And this is something that Moses labored to explain to Israel. In Exodus chapter 34, particularly on this journey, verse 5 and 6, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. It's true that we are not where we are or we should be, but we can return to the God of compassion. Can I hear a hand clap to the Lord? <laughs> Israel needed to know that even with this devastation, it's not the final day. They still had a chance. We still have a chance to return to the Lord of grace. We still have a chance to put things right. We too may have fallen far away, but we can put things right, friends. Yes, we can. Whatever trouble we are in, it is not the final day. It's not the final judgment. It is simply a wake-up call. Earlier on, I called it a dress rehearsal for those that will persist and insist in the rebellion. But we still have a chance it is a wake-up call for us. And so what? We must repent. We must turn to the Lord. And so thirdly, a repentant heart opens the way for God's mercy. How do we access this mercy? How do we access this grace? It is by repentance. God desires a heart-to-heart -heart relationship. In crying, as Israel is crying out to the Lord, they need to listen and Ugandans, we are so good with this crying out to the Lord. Oh yes, Ugandans can cry to the Lord. We, we are doing well. 31st December, go to any random church. You'll find people crying to the Lord about the new year. Amen. Every last Friday of the month, every first word, you know, they are from seven days of this to 21 of those to 40 of what. Now those ones who are wet, we tried the dry, dry ones. Then those were dry. Now let's go. They, you, they will cry to the Lord. Cry to the Lord. But there is need that in the middle of crying, we listen to the Lord. What is the Lord saying to us? And so as Israel is crying, they should not just cry for the sake, 
Because God is not asking for more religion. That is not what God wants. In fact, Amos chapter 5 verse 21, he says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. So God is not expecting you to do more religion, more and more religion. That's not the point. He says as you do that, as you're doing your fastings, as you're gathering in your assemblies, because your hearts are not with me, they are stinking. Just imagine you come and have a wonderful session of praise and worship like the one we have had today. Man, guys, thank you very much. Clap for the worship team, the band. They've done very well, particularly in singing that song every day. It, uh, it did well in my days. <laughs> But God is not just looking for a song. So he, he wants them not only to cry out, but to give their hearts. Because God is aware, listen, that outward acts can so easily deteriorate into religion. They can become routine, empty routine. Not moving God. Every Sunday you come and sit in your place, you come earlier than and everybody else. In fact, you're disappointed that there is baptism, but it's okay for you. After all, you are here, and for you, that seat, 52 Sundays in a year. And you're comforted in that. Don't be mistaken. God is not looking for the, just crying for the sake, just coming and keeping up with the routine and everything. God wants the heart of his followers. He requires the whole heart. Not just acts of religion. Listen. I illustrated it before. As somebody. You cannot get into a marriage relationship. But you keep hanging out with your ex-boyfriend. And ex-girlfriend. And yet that's what we do. When we come to the Lord. And at the same time go back to our wicked ways. That is not what God is looking for. And Israel needs to understand this. In verse 13, he says, Render your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and relents from sending calamity. This word rend suggests brokenheartedness, total surrender of the heart. It's the idea of the psalmist in saying, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Your God will not despise. It is from a broken heart, friends, that outward actions become appropriate. If outward actions do not come from a broken, surrendered heart, then they are empty and useless. Think about David, the writer of those words. He says, Lord, I am broken. I come to you in repentance. Even after all his issues, David will come to the Lord and listen to what God says about David, a man after my heart. Why? Because God is not looking at the outward acts. He's looking at the inside, the heart. And so then from the heart, the outward acts become appropriate. So don't come in the presence of God and begin to act up. God wants your heart. Render your heart. Nothing less than your heart. Not half of it, the whole of it. All of it. And that is why I don't agree with people who say God is number one in my life. 
What are the other numbers doing? God should be everything in your life. Everything. That is what render your heart means. It's not just having a prayer altar in one of the rooms. In fact, you already have your plan. You haven't bought the plot, but you have a plan that is already there, and there is a prayer room. God does not just want a prayer room. God wants the whole of you. Praise the name of the Lord. That is what it means to render your hearts. And for every person that does this, friends, salvation is assured. Salvation is out for everybody. Because Christ has made it possible for that to happen. Praise the name of the Lord. It was difficult for the Israelites. In fact, in their efforts, it could not be possible. And God realized it. God knew it. And he made it simpler by sending Jesus Christ on the cross. So that his righteousness becomes our righteousness. And all we have to do is receive Jesus Christ. Accept him. Accept what he has done as enough sacrifice for our deliverance and salvation. Not the acts, but our hearts being yielded to Jesus Christ. Then our acts can become appropriate. And so if we want revival, there is not going to be blanket revival. Oh yes, after July, man, the youth at All Saints Cathedral just went on rampage. They were ablaze on fire for Jesus. It's not going to be a blanket. It's going to be individual hearts turning to the Lord. But when one heart turns to the Lord and another and another, then we have a revival. We have a movement. People on fire for Jesus Christ. Praise the name of the Lord. God is ready and willing to pour out a refreshment that would become a spring of life out of our hearts, out of our lives. And as Joel is saying these words, in verse, in chapter 2, verse 28, we then read, verse 25, we then read, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locust and the young locust, the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be ashamed. Please take note. Many of us have quoted this verse a million times. But take note that is after realizing and acknowledging their mistake and turning to the Lord in repentance that God then says, I will repay you. You don't continue living in your wickedness and come here to make decrees and declarations of how it is your word you'll pay me for all the years I've lost. It is out of a transformed life, a heart-to-heart -heart relationship with the Lord. There is assurance of restoration, not just for eternity, but even in this life. Some believers have signed out. For them, they gave their lives to Jesus Christ and they are just waiting for that day to receive their crown. Everything before then means nothing. This salvation begins now. 
This abundant life begins now. It has everything to do with whether there is lack or plenty. I am content. I can rejoice because Christ has completed my salvation and deliverance. Praise the name of the Lord. So amidst the suffering and the crying, the voice of the Lord is calling you this afternoon. Joel points to us, particularly us. Yes, first his cohorts, but even us. He's calling us, one who is wholeheartedly coming to the Lord, ready to come to the Lord. God wants to fulfill his word, the word he has spoken for salvation to come to every person that will cry out to the Lord. It might have been dark for you, but it's never too dark for God to save you. Hallelujah. It might have been for so long, but it's never too late. The commander of the army of these locusts issues an invitation this afternoon. Return to me. Return to me. Come to me, all of you. It doesn't matter how far or how long, God's hand is not too short to save. He can give us a chance this afternoon. We can make fresh commitments. And I know Reverend Tendo is going to lead us in a time of prayer. In fact, choir be coming up. There are some of you that have signed up to minister or to be involved in various ministry opportunities. We thank God for you. Can you just seal those commitments with adding something, maybe a reminder, or putting there something that is tangible, that is going to maybe somebody to hold you accountable? Because after today, it's possible that you will forget. It's very possible that you'll go back to your everyday life if you don't put parameters to help you keep accountable. I want us from today not to go back to the daily routine, but to seriously consider serving God, relating with God at another level. Please stand, please stand. And choir leaders in singing as we transition into a time of prayer.